Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this episode, we'll look at Nabis, California's largest cannabis distributor. So I'm speaking with founder and CEO Vince Ning, and he explains that their biggest growth driver is really being part of a rapidly emerging industry. So that that fits my, my broader hypothesis for this program, that product market fit is probably the most important factor in driving growth. Of course, they have some serious execution chops as well. In fact, that's what helped them get into the Y Combinator program. So, you know, that's the program behind companies like Airbnb and Dropbox. And so these guys are really legit, even though maybe there's some stigma attached to the cannabis industry. I think you'll, you'll find this is a really interesting, uh, interview. We're starting to see some, some pretty interesting network effects kick in on this business. They're doing over a hundred million dollars in wholesale product distributed. So that's really interesting, but with all this growth it, it gets a bit messy. And so you kind of get a, a feel for that. Just even hearing some of the background noise in Vince's office, if they weren't growing so quickly, they probably would have a pretty quiet office. So please excuse some of that background noise, but I think that that just gives you a flavor for what, what growth is really all about. So this is a really interesting story. So let's go ahead and get started. All right. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, Vince. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. It's definitely, uh, you're, you're in a new emerging industry, so it should be, should be really interesting to, to dig into how you're approaching growth and all of, all of the challenges that you're, you're probably uh, facing as you, as you scale in that industry. But um, before we kind of dig into that, why don't you tell us a bit about what you're actually doing, what that industry is, and, and, and uh, what you guys are doing in there? Sure. Um, so at a high level, uh, you know, we do cannabis distribution. Um, the company is called Navis and we've been around for about two years now. And, um, you know, from there, we were delivering one product at a time um, ourselves. And, you know, now we've grown the business to um, over 100 customers and, um, you know, shipping uh, probably the most cannabis products in, in California. So specifically, we do we handle the logistics, so the warehousing and storage, and and the delivery process for for brands and vendor suppliers, and we ship out um, packaged products out to dispensaries and retailers across the state of California. Um, and so now, you know, we we ship over around a hundred million dollars worth of wholesale products a year, and you know that equates to around like one in fifteen cannabis products in California. Um, and so, you know, it's been a crazy time of growth and obviously a lot of it's fueled by the, you know, consumer demand and the new legalization. And so it's a, certainly an exciting time to be in the industry. Absolutely. And then I saw you guys are part of Y Combinator. Is that, um, are you the first cannabis, uh, company that's gone through there? Um, we are the first licensed cannabis company that's gone through Y Combinator. There have been others. So there's been formulation companies, there's been, um, you know, brand companies, but, um, in, in large part, you know, we, we are a plant touching cannabis company that, uh, we were sort of the first ones that Y Combinator invested in. That was such a huge landmark milestone for the industry, um, to get Absolutely. that kind of institutional capital. Yeah. I mean, and Y Combinator, I've, I've worked myself on a few Y Combinator companies and it's, uh, I mean, it's a fantastic group and it's tapping into so much knowledge there. That's, that's super exciting that they, they were, not uh, not afraid to to get involved with you guys um, because I know 
while while it's legal in California, there's still sort of the the federal laws, and there's there's enough kind of gray areas that it's uh, it wouldn't be surprising if if there's certain investors that are, are are still shying away from it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and overall, like the stigma too. I think having sort of respectable professional industry folks come in and really validate this space has has been super helpful for for our growth. Yeah, I can I can understand that. So when you mentioned that you have a hundred customers, when you say customers, is that is that the brands? What what are you referring to when you say customers? Correct. Yeah. So we we basically ship out um, products on consignment to you know retail dispensaries across the state, and so we'll sign distribution agreements with brands, um, and uh, you know ultimately we take over and handle their products and ship them out um, as they need and as they make sales. Yeah, and so what? What was it when you when you looked at the industry that you that you thought um, there's there's an opportunity here? Some somebody's not doing something right. Yeah, so I think uh, looking into this industry, actually, it was it was it was pretty fortunate that there there were actually a plethora of opportunities. Just knowing that you know January first was when uh, twenty eighteen was when um, you know cannabis truly legalized recreationally and all the licenses got implemented and rolled out and. Um, it was, it was so, it was such, it was such a wild west economy. Um, and it was basically, you know, people who trusted each other back in the day working in the medical market or even in the illicit market who, um, are sort of entering the legal recreational market and trying to reinvent their businesses, meaning that there was just going to be so much opportunity, um, to help out and, you know, just knowing sort of how much consumer demand there was going to be for cannabis products, um, you know, giving the, given that that's like the fundamental assumption, we knew that, you know, this sort of industry at the bare bones level wasn't going to scale. And, um, you know, as we were getting into the, the industry, uh, I had a, f- a few friends who were, uh, you know, owned pre-roll brands and other cannabis products. And, um, you know, back in the day, just because of the, uh, you know, the regulatory climate, as you mentioned, um, sort of restricted a lot of access to, to products and, and then scaling across, you know, different regions. Um, a lot of them ultimately like self-distributed their products. Um, they had their friends, their family, their own employees go and ship products out across the state, which is, you know, super unscalable. Um, and, uh, we, we just start, I mean, I, I basically got into the industry, um, through, through them. And, uh, I, I just sort of did deliveries, not really as a business model. It was mainly to meet people in the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, we would meet the cultivators, we would meet the manufacturers, the retail partners, and ultimately, um, you know, it, it became a thing where, uh, people started just referring us, referring to us as the guys who would just drive around products across the state to like, you know, meet your friends. And so, you know, and we were just trustworthy. They pay us at cost. It wasn't really a, a money-making uh, business at the time. Um, and, and ultimately that, that became the business. Um, you know, more and more people needed the service. So it was kind of a, a almost customer development, just more out of, of, being curious and, and, um, the wild west part of it, just, just getting involved kind of on the fringes. And then, and then as you, as you connected, you started to see that opportunity that it's, uh, it could be done a lot better. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, my background's in, in technology, you know, I build, uh, enterprise B2B SaaS products. I used to work at Microsoft, helping them build out certain financial tools. And then, um, you know, before this, I started my last company, which was uh, called Scaffold. And um, we built a developer tool as a backend as a service. And, um, you know, through that, I wanted to sort of apply what I learned there in my experience to this whole new legal market. And it was, uh, you know, it's something that's that was pretty exciting to me and um, just 
kind of diving in head first, just seeing what was out there, um, found really like a, an amazing niche um, that we can sort of leverage both our tech experience to help scale the logistics aspect of it. And, you know, the fact that there, there wasn't any incumbents at the time. Right. And then at what point did, did Y Combinator get involved? Um, so Y Combinator got involved um, about like a year to a little over a year in. Um, so we started this business late 2017, right before legalization of recreational products happened. So we were working in the medical market and uh, just sort of feeling out the space and meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then the legalization there, had been approved. It just hadn't been rolled out yet, right? Correct. Yeah. And the medical market was thriving already. Um, and so, um, you know, from there, we, we sort of grew the business for about a year, um, raised our own round. And then from there, we knew that, like, you know, Y Combinator uh, was one of those uh, it, we, we actually weren't sure if we wanted to do it or not. Um, we had gotten in and it was uh, kind of, uh, it, it was, it, you know, for us, I had gone through the program before. Um, and so I felt as though I could continue building this business without it. But, um, you know, I, I thought that with this industry and this market and sort of the stigma around it and, uh, you know, the sort of lack of capital in a lot of areas because it's such a fresh new market that it really takes a, you know, an appetite of risk to get into it. Um, you know, getting getting that sort of branding of Y Combinator and the sort of learnings there would help our business grow and scale past where we were that day at that time. Yeah. And that makes sense too, why they why they would have a little more trust in you if you'd been through the program before with another company. So that wasn't wasn't like uh I mean I, again the stigma that you talked about that you know the probably there's this perception that it's a bunch of stoners starting a company and <laughs> Knowing that okay, this this is this is a a, a person who's a, a professional and has been doing this and and has an interest in in this space and um it like pr- probably helped with some of those stigma issues I imagine yeah yeah absolutely I mean I think as this industry continues to grow it it you know before it was it was all so under the cover of darkness and no one really knew who operated the space um, but somehow products came out and now there's you know headhunting agencies, there's legal firms, professional services, all jumping in um, and helping out um, to, to grow this industry because people sort of see it now as, um, you know, converging into something more like alcohol um, right. in, in like a traditional market. Yeah. And when you're, when you're talking about moving $100 million worth of product legally, then, then that's going to attract a lot of, of probably very interested business people because there's, there's clearly a good business opportunity there. And um, and and I think because of the the medical side and some of the other, there are actually benefits that that uh, legitimize it as well, and and that alcohol doesn't have that stigma and you know in the big picture of things that at the pre- open minded people part of the reason why it got legalized in California is that open minded people just just recognize that it's it's not really that different from alcohol anyway, and and so hopefully as as time goes on that. Uh, you know, and, and, and in many ways, probably healthier for you, particularly if you have liver issues or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many more, I guess, like, you know, uh, like tailwinds to the growth of the, the cannabis industry. And, um, you know, more and more so, like people are realizing that, like you said, you know, alcohol is not as good for you as, uh, you know, as cannabis is. And so, you know, there's, there's other health and wellness benefits that make the, that make cannabis products uh, a little bit more, you know, um, you know, attractive as like a, a product. Yeah. So, so how did you, so you mentioned you, you had kind of, you, you were doing some sort of informal deliveries initially and, and then you, you sort of, you, you scaled up from there. Like it did it. Um, when did it start to feel like you had product market fit? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I guess it's it's it kind of goes back to how you define product market fit. But ever since we were doing the deliveries, um, just felt like that that was like the need. Um, whether whether you sort of built a software solution around it, or you know you had uh, you know you had a warehouse or not, like it just felt like uh, you know at the end of the day, people just needed to get their products out there scalably and you know at a at a you know low cost solution. Um, you know, across across the state, and, um, and and so that's what we we're there to do. So ever since the beginning, when we were doing deliveries, we um, you know we always just made a margin on everything that we delivered, um, and uh, you know it was just something that it was it was just a matter of how you wanted to make the delivery happen in the most scalable way, um, and that's when we sort of brought in the technology aspect, and we sort of started thinking about how we wanted to set up our distribution warehouses and, you know, the, the logistics network. Um, but yeah, but, but ever since the beginning, really, it was, uh, it was almost like it, it was needed. And, you know, another thing to note is that it's actually legally required um, to have a distributor, uh, you know, ship your products out across the state. Um, and um, yeah, and so, you know, it kind of follows this generic uh, sort of three-tier system that most regulated industries and markets have. Um, and uh, it just may, basically means that the state wants to hold one party accountable for, um, you know, certain compliance needs or like tracking and tracing the product. And so, um, you know, it was, it, you know, brands were sort of like self-distributing and they could obviously go get their own distribution license. but. It, you know, there's sort of there's both a legal and an economic incentive to go use this product, right? And so, the, for the customers that you've brought on, were most of them self-distributing, or were they switching from other distributors when they when they became your customer? Yeah, most of them were self-distributing, and even to this day, I would say our biggest competitor, if you will, is self-distribution. Um, you know, people have uh, over the past couple of years have built up. You know, they, they might have gotten, you know, six trucks and a couple of drivers that they hired to go deliver their products across the state. And ultimately, it's once the market starts picking up and they realize they, as a brand, they need to compete and get their messaging and marketing out there and their products further out. Um, for instance, you know, a brand might be only in Northern California, but they want to go into Southern California. At that point, they sort of make an internal decision amongst their executive team saying, hey, like I need to uh, either buy six more vehicles to service that market or uh, use a service like Navis. Um, and a lot of times people end up choosing us because it's a, it's a much more you know scalable pay-as-you-go kind of model. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And then so Clearly, you've come a long way from those from those early days, and and um, so what what do you think's been the most critical in in getting there? Like, is is your product or is your distribution that that uh, differentiated, or is it has it been really just more more tactically, or a combination of a bunch of different things? It's a it's a combination of I think like two things. One is um, you know the the market itself is just so big um, that. You know, I can't take all the credit for myself here. I think the the market is just booing, and it's such an emerging market that you know it's it's one of you know people say you know rising tide lifts all sails. Um, there's so many um, so many distributors that started back back at that time, um, and everyone was doing fantastically. Everyone just because everyone was starting a brand or like growing and, and manufacturing and distributing, so the market itself was just continuing to grow, and we were just 
you know, one of the, one of the people that were growing with it. And ultimately how we sort of differentiated was, um, you know, really through our technology. Um, and that's where sort of our background comes in to help scale what we do. Um, you know, a lot of people ended up just building, uh, traditional distribution businesses and uh, that don't really scale just because this industry has a lot more overhead of, you know, security and compliance. And that's what our, you know, what we noticed was really bottlenecking our business, um, in order to scale. So the technology piece, you know, automates all of the order management, the inventory management and the sort of financial collections and payment side of things that made it super easy for the order, uh, for orders to go out. So now what we offer is, you know, basically Amazon prime level two day shipping across the state. Um, with a you know, 98% you know, on time in full delivery rate. So those are our two sort of main metrics. And ultimately what that boils down to is how many orders can we ship on any given month. And um, you know, we, we just keep trying to push the envelope of those metrics. And um, you know, that's, what's, that's what's given us a lot of uh, you know, ability to grow past our competitors to this day. Mm-hmm. And then uh, how much transparency into like the location of an order do they have do you, and when you talk about the tech there's obviously some things you could do with with gps and other things is that part of the solution yeah absolutely so um as far as transparency goes you can basically see you know what warehouse it's coming out of what region and um you can track you can sort of audit like everything that has happened with your order so whether it's you know getting packed out whether it is you know getting checked or getting delivered or, you know, it's already delivered, but there were some issues or contents needed to be changed. And you can see sort of why um, that is super helpful for them just because before they, they, they had that when they were self distributing because they could just call their driver up and ask them where they were. And then now when they're switching over to a third party distributor, sure, it makes more sense on like a cost basis, but then you sort of, uh, a lot of other distributors didn't have that level of transparency in their system um, where they can just log in and see in real time where all their products were, um, you know, that's where they fell short is because then they couldn't scale and people started, people stopped trusting their own distributor in a lot of ways because they weren't sure where their products were. And this is, it's not a small amount of products. It's like wholesale volumes. Um, you know, oftentimes they'll drop off a couple million dollars worth of product in your warehouse and, uh, and, for some reason, you know, other distributors with other distributors might have just vanished, and no one knows why. And you know, that's- <laughs> <laughs> not not a huge surprise, though. I mean, given given the industry, and and I mean, even you know, historically, alcohol was not that different as well. Where 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 trucks are getting hit by the mob and or at least there's the that's the perception for movies anyway but uh yeah no it, it very much is like that it's uh when i say wild west i mean when we were doing deliveries back in the day uh my co-founder and i basically would just drive from oakland down to san diego and drop things off in the back of a shop and there was really not that much paperwork that you had to have we just had you know a seller's permit and we had a manifest and and the products were just sitting in the back of our car and now now there's more now there's much more regulation around like how things need to be distributed but back in the day it was uh we, people were just texting each other um yeah saying, and like, i imagine yeah. i imagine even like insurance on 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 loads and things like that is probably probably you know given that like credit cards in the space are are, are tough to do like I, I imagine the insurance is probably pretty tough there too and and uh yeah. So it's it, having, having a trustworthy, um, distributors gotta be, gotta be a huge factor for, for brands that have invested a lot of money in uh, moving a shipment somewhere and making sure that they're not gonna, not gonna, you know, lose a ton of money on it. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the, the trust is really what we're building. 
um, at the end of the day. Like everything, North Star metrics, um, you know, growth of these numbers. Um, ultimately, it's like, do you, do you trust this partner that you're working with? I think that's so important in like our business where we're selling like a B2B enterprise service um, in like a new market where, you know, trust was so key. I think that's that's ultimately what we try to convey to our partners, whether it's a brand or like a you know, dispensary who's receiving our products that, you know, they know that the products is products are going to get there on time and safely. Yeah. So, so how much have you, so it sounds like you've, you've innovated a ton in the space. So when you looked at the space, did you, did you think, okay, we need to conform to the space as it is, or, or like how much did you feel like you needed to just write out, say, oh my God, this could be done so much better and start innovating. And did you look to, to alcohol and some of the more mature industries to, to borrow ideas from there or just sort of, how did you even kind of start to visualize what it could be? Yeah, no, that's a fantastic question. Um, you know, we, we did all of the above. Um, you know, we sort of looked into logistics businesses like FedEx and how they structured their P&L statements and, you know, where they were investing in order to scale. And we looked at alcohol distributors like Diageo and, you know, all of the above. We sort of like tried to borrow what we could um, but then ultimately realized that the industry just wasn't mature enough to have a service that looks quite like that yet. And so, you know, ultimately there, there's a lot of like cultural, you know, inroads and, and bettings that, you know, we have to, we had to, um, sort of learn about. And that was really just through like meeting people. And, um, ultimately, you know, the growth of our service has been, uh, through word of mouth. We don't really do that much like paid marketing or anything. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that just goes to show how much of a, tight-knit community this industry is um and i think that i think you know that that goes to speak to sort of like how new this and emerging this industry is um yeah absolutely absolutely so i i gotta assume that there's been some probably pretty big growth challenges along the way as well getting getting to this point is there anything that comes to mind as a as a big challenge that you had to overcome yeah i mean i would say it was the fact that you know we were sort of starting out like shipping all these products and there was, there were no, um, you know, we try to look at existing models as I had described earlier, but ultimately in cannabis with new regs and laws and sort of a whole different set of people and culture, it was, it was really hard to apply those things. And so a lot of the challenges were, uh, really just like being creative about our solutions. There was no playbook for how to grow a cannabis distribution business. Um, you know, across California, let alone the nation, which is our eventual goal. And so that'll be probably our next challenge is to really think about how we scale um, state by state. Um, but, you know, it, it's really, you know, how do you figure out the sort of legal landscape and make sure you're operating compliantly? Because that is ultimately, um, you know, apart from you know, selling your service, it's all about you know, how do you, you retain customers and like build your product to iteratively fit the market and so um even tying back to like product market fit i feel like that is product market fit in 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 my eyes in this industry has been such an elusive term because you might have fit a certain stage of the market but the market's like such a moving target that like you constantly have to like um essentially iterate your product over time to to grow with the market and you can't just go raise a ton of money and then build something that looks like, you know, McKesson in the pharmaceutical industry and just think that that's going to work because it's, you're overfitting the market at that point. And so right, right, it's really right. about, you got, you, know, you get too far ahead of the market, then exactly. it's, then it's not reality. And, and so I, th I think the fact that you started 
just as you know, delivering for some people kind of gave you gave you that that super low tech insight into things, and then um, but also being able to look ahead and saying this is a quickly maturing market. I mean, you can just if you go into any dispensary, you can see how how they've evolved from the you know early days in Washington. It it was you know very different than what you see in a California dispensary now, where it looks super commercial and. You got to imagine that everything else is kind of moving in that professional direction as well. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So um, let's talk a bit about sort of how how the organization has changed. So how many how many people do you have in the company now? Uh, so the company has about 120 people now. Wow, and then so that's that's a long way from from a couple of guys in a truck. So what um, what what's sort of the the breakdown of of kind of where where the majority of those people are? Is it mostly kind of the delivery network, or are there a lot of operations people as well? Yeah, so I would say like two thirds of the company is operations people. Um, you know, sitting under the roof in the warehouses or on the road delivering products, um, and uh, you know the other third of the company is, um, you know, basically our corporate staff. So myself, my co-founder, HR, sales, engineering, marketing. Um, and so it's, it's really come a long way. And now we have, uh, it's like three offices, um, you know, our corporate headquarters in SF and we have two warehouses, um, one over in East Bay and Oakland that helps service the NorCal market. And then one down in LA servicing, uh, Southern California. Um, and so it, it's been interesting to, not only just grow the number of people, but also, you know, how do, how do we figure out, you know, this sort of uh, asymmetry in culture and sort of the nature of work as well and try to like patch it together into one cohesive organization with one goal. Yeah, I can imagine. And it, and it sounds like you're having growing pains even even now in the sense that it's hard to find a quiet room for, for this recording, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, we, yeah, we're, we're constantly just growing and sort of pushing out. Uh, it, it, we, so, I mean, just to share an anecdote, we, uh, when we first started our warehouse in Oakland, we were, we just, we, we, our whole culture about building products and growth is just that we, you need to be iterative about it. Um, and, uh, you know, we started out in a, a little 500 square foot room in like a business park. And we ended up just growing our volume so much that we ran out of space pretty quickly. And we had to continuously, um, we had to continuously ask our landlord to kick out neighbors and say we could pay more per square foot. And we ended up taking out like an insurance business, uh, a DUI school, a massage parlor. And then we ended up just breaking down the walls and then just adding more square footage to our warehouse in order to continue scaling. So, um, yeah, that's sort of been the story of our, our internal growth at least. So you mentioned that, um, about a third of the people are, are more on the kind of management side of things. What, how does, um, if, if that's even the right word there, but the non, non kind of delivery and warehouse kind of end of things. So what, uh, what is the, growth function look like? Is it, is it a lot of kind of outbound salespeople? Is it, is it, you know, do you have, you mentioned it's a lot of word of mouth driven. So is, is there really much of a need for much marketing? Yeah, not, not really. I mean, I think for us as like a B2B service, um, it's really about communicating trust. And uh, like I said earlier, and that's, that's sort of communicated in many ways, in a lot of ways, it's like a, it's like a cultural value. And so um, in that sense, it's, delivered that that sort of message is delivered through the service that we provide um the communications on a day-to-day basis but also you know the word of mouth and you know it's interesting we we sort of tinkered with having a growth team at this at this company but ultimately 
um, you know, we just have like a business development of partnerships and sales team. And, and that's just, it's, it's been, you know, we have one director and then, uh, we have, you know, my co-founder and I, it's basically it. And everyone else sort of helps out too and goes to conferences and meets people, but largely it's word of mouth and, um, you know, signing these enterprise level contracts. Uh, and so it's, it's, we, we haven't had to have like a, a massive growth team or, um, anything like that. I mean, I think the, we were very fortunate to have a, a market that was just coming up out of the ground. And so a lot of the businesses, um, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about like B2B enterprise sales, you're, you're trying to find that decision maker at the top that will sort of cut you the check and, and put it in the budget and, you know, finally make the decision to go run your service this way or run their service this way. And, um, you know, when, when the market is so early, pretty much every operator is the decision maker and, and also uses your business and also uses your service. And there was everyone, you know, the hierarchy of every business at that time was just like maybe two or three, you know, <laughs> um, stacks deep. And so it was pretty easy to find, you know, the C-level person that was going to make the decision. Um, everyone was trying to move really fast. And so it was, uh, it, it's been, it's been very fortunate for us to be able to, you know, find our way and network in the industry and, um, you know, find the right partners to work with. Yeah. And then how does the, how does the word of mouth piece work? Is it, is it brands telling other brands or is it the retailers telling brands, Oh, these guys are good to work with or, or a combination? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. So when we first started, it was just one brand at a time. Um, sort of again, on that iterative approach, we were, um, basically just, going one at a time and, you know, doing things unscalably um, up until the point where we sort of hit like a critical mass and started reaching some network effects with our distribution business. And um, one of the nice things about, um, you know, having the actual delivery network under our hood um, is the fact that, um, you know, everyone basically gets some like tangible, you know, aspect, I guess like a, um, you know, they get to touch our business in some way. Um, and so, you know, like as a, as a brand, you get to log on to the software portal every day and there's people trained up on how to use it and they book orders every single day and all the sales rep do it too. And they get their reports and they get to see everything. And then um, from like the dispensary side, um, you know, drivers, uh, we now fulfill several thousand orders a month. And so, you know, basically drivers will show up at dispensary doors all across the state. So, you know, it's all like they, like they, the dispensary owners have sort of built relationships with our drivers. Um, and it, it makes it easy through that kind of, in a way that's kind of marketing for us um, to get our name out. And, you know, you, you made the point earlier around how, you know, retailers can be a good referral network for us. And that's been largely true. You know, they, they don't want to, you, you know, in, in a way, like as a distribution business, we're basically a marketplace. And so you kind of suffer that chicken and the egg problem. Um, but you know, we sort of targeted the brands first and ultimately from there, we, uh, you know, we developed a critical mass of some of the best brands across California state. And that just meant that as a dispensary, you really couldn't not work with us because if you wanted some of these products, you just had to come talk to us. And so as we continue to develop our brand portfolio and strengthen that retailers have oftentimes, uh, just referred new brands to us who are trying to sell directly into their store because they want to centralize their procurement and, uh, you know, all of their intake processes. Um, but you know, there's, there's more to it than that. Obviously you have to make sure that you're delivering good service, um, and you're delighting the customer, but, um, you know, 
all of those sort of come together and you know now there's sort of this nice little echo chamber that's going on across all of our vendor supplier partners and retail partners that are just telling people to just use Navis as like the service and you know that's helping us like consolidate the distribution market quite a bit. Yeah, that's great. And I and I can imagine again that that you know having having relation if a, if a retailer or or a dispensary has has you know 50 deliveries a day coming from little micro deliverers, it's, it's gotta be a huge pain in the butt for them versus if, if, as you said, as as it consolidates, if it's one or two or three main distributors that they have to deal with, that's probably way easier for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that, that's sort of what, you know, the niceties of our business model is that ultimately consolidation will happen and uh, the network effects are pretty strong for a distribution business. Yeah. So do you, do you think of, I think you used the word mission at one point, do you feel like you've got a a, a mission that you as a business are um, kind of trying to align around? Yeah. Um, I think so. I mean, we actually just revamped our core values and our mission. Um, and I think those are something that just evolves over time. Always. When we first started this business, it was just about, you know, how do we deliver the best products across the state? Um, and how do we give the most wide reaching access to these brands? So ultimately what we want is for uh, brand to make it easy for brands to, to get up and off the ground um, and get, you know, statewide access um, without having to build their own distribution. And now it's sort of evolved into something where we want people to discover cannabis products. And that means, providing, you know, choice, providing access, providing, you know, variety and, and sort of quality of service as well, um, where we're more than just like a trucking delivery company. We offer, uh, you know, over, you know, overdoing like two years of deliveries through, uh, you know, our software platform that tracks everything. We've sort of developed a, a well of resources and data that helps guide sales strategies for brands to be able to target different markets. And so, Ultimately, our, our, our one sort of service that we used to provide, which is still the backbone of our business, is uh, affording us the ability to evolve it into a more, more of a platform that gives uh, you know, brands all the data and access that they need across the state and for dispensaries to be able to find the best products all in one place and not have to sort of search around and scour the market for um, you know, the latest new thing. Mm-hmm. And then what... Um... Like if, if there's a specific brand uh, and you're trying to find the retail distributions f- or f- retail locations where you could buy that brand. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, a, um, I, I know someone with uh, arthritis and they really like to use a THC cream, for example, and I was supposed to pick some up for them and, and they had it in Northern California and I needed to pick it up in Southern California when they were visiting. Um, but it's, it's kind of, there's not necessarily a lot of transparency that way. What, um, are, are you kind of helping to helping to connect consumers with the locations or would that really be more of the brand, uh, responsibility to try to help them find the brands they want? Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, hand in hand. I mean, I think a lot of it is done by the, uh, by the brand side where they use, you know, other services like weed maps or, um, you know, things that are kind of like Yelp basically, where consumers can go find, you know, their products across the state. And so they'll manage their own listings. Um, but, but for us, like we, we help the brand sort of target which regions that they need to be getting into just because we see that, you know, there is sort of a lack of this niche here in like Southern California and Palm Springs. And so we'll, we'll sort of be the, in a way like the puppeteer in the back that 
helps guide the brands and plug their products in across the state. Um, but ultimately, it's the brand that wants to own the messaging and marketing of their uh, uh, of their product, um, you know, across across California. And then your your overall success. So you mentioned you're you're moving a hundred million dollars in product now. What um, or over a hundred million? What um, is that kind of the the main metric that you're just focused on? What's how do we how do we increase the amount of uh, you know the dollar value of the product we're moving? Yeah. So I would say that's like at the top, top level, you know, how do we, uh, ship, you know, ship the most of the market. So, you know, we, I said earlier, you know, we ship one in 15 products in California. Like how do we keep pushing the boundaries there and ship more and more? Um, just cause that gives us that much more negotiating leverage in the supply chain. Um, and also squeezes out other competitors. Um, but, uh, you know, over time, I think, what we're also starting to look at more now, I mean, ever since the beginning of the company, we've always been focused on unit economic profitability. And, you know, by unit economics, I just mean that, you know, how much we ship versus what our cost of goods are, meaning like how much does it cost a driver on gas, on their time, our vehicle depreciation, all that sort of stuff factored in. And, um, you know, we've always tried to have a healthy unit economic margin as we continue to scale. And that's sort of like the, again, going back to that iterative approach to growth, um, how we've sort of made sure that we don't create the issue where, you know, we go raise a hundred million dollars and then just go deploy it all and then buy, you know, a hundred trucks and like five warehouses that we don't even know how to manage. And all of a sudden you've like overfit the market. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of always, you know, it's almost like a, I tell my team, you know, it's like a, it's like a canvas where you're trying to draw the Mona Lisa. It doesn't just happen in one broad stroke. It's like sketches along the way to make like this perfect image. Um, and so, you know, as we continue to grow and iterate, you know, how do we get profitable as well as like a company? Um, and how do we continue to squeeze out more and more margin? And how do we not just, you know, but, but obviously not in like a, self, uh, I guess, like a one-sided way, we're also thinking about, you know, it has to be win-win, like with our partners, with with our brand. So it's like, you know, now one of the things we're thinking about is how do we sort of create dynamic pricing with, uh, you know, shipping days, just because we have quite a bit of data now around, you know, how our logistics is working and the seasonality of the business. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately that'll benefit the brands too, just because they'll be able to ship things for much cheaper on certain days. And for us, it'll even out, balance out our volumes over time. So that way, you know, it's easier for us to staff too. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's, it, it lowers costs across the board. Um, with the sort of economies of scale. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about kind of the, the biggest levers for, for increasing your, not necessarily the margin piece, but just the, the, the total volume piece is, is it more around adding additional brands or adding additional retailers or, you know, the, 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 the average, uh, average amount of product per brand or what's, what, what's kind of the, the biggest lever there for, for driving growth? Yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest lever right now is, uh, you know, just adding more brands. Uh, you know, what we what we kind of offer right now is 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 uh, sort of, I guess, like some something more like a marketplace where we're turning into, um, you know, a place where people can shop and, and and buy and discover new products. And so, ultimately, that just means how do we sort of create as much quote unquote, like virtual shelf space as possible on our menu um, to be able to, um, you know, ship as much product out across the state. And that that's sort of what pushes 
that gross merchandise volume number up is just bringing on more, you know, more and more brands and more and more variety. Um, cause you know, cause then like retailers are incentivized to purchase more from us as well. Cause they know they can just come to us for all the best products. Um, and then the second is actually increasing the average order sizes too. Um, and I think that's a very key point because, um, it, it not only helps our sort of like operating profit margins, um, to be able to deliver, you know, a max out vehicle and with hundred percent utilization rate to one location, um, to like bundle things up. Um, but, but at the same time, it's also, um, you know, for, for a brand, it, 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 it creates a lot of, uh, you know, brand value for them too, just because they, they know that they're going to have their shelf space always stocked. They're not going to sell out. And that's what for a brand, you know, how we're thinking about it is like, we need to always make sure that no shelf space at a dispensary ever goes empty. Um, and so, you know, how do we keep brands on the same page about producing inventory, um, you know, at the right quantities? Um, and how do we ship it out as fast as possible? And how do we remit payments back to them as fast as possible? And so really improving that cash cycle is going to help our gross merchandise volume as well, because, you know, it's, 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 it's ultimately in, in a large part, um, you know, the merchandise volume that we ship is driven by consumer demand. But what we can help is um, how do we sort of increase this sort of treadmill cycle that, uh, you know, inventory goes out to the dispensary and, and money comes back in. Mm -hmm. And then how, how do they increase consumer demand for a particular brand? Is it, is it mostly like in dispensary advertising or what's the, what's the way to, uh, to do that? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of ways. I mean, I think dispensaries are creating even new ways. So there's obviously dispensary advertising. A lot of them are, uh, you know, using billboards. I don't know if you've seen them across the highways in California, but they're all sort of turning in from from AI billboards into uh, cannabis product billboards. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, a lot of that I, is I've seen it for the, the dispensaries, but not necessarily yeah. for brands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think you know it's interesting because the uh, for brands for dispensaries like cannabis businesses actually cannot advertise legally um, due to compliance reasons on uh, Facebook, on Google. And so the traditional, what you think of like SEO marketing, all that sort of stuff just doesn't really exist here in the space. And so you really have to go analog and, um, you know, use billboards and go into stores and put up posters and do activation events. And uh, oftentimes like dispensaries will even ask you to purchase and reserve shelf space as like a, almost like a rent fee. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately that's what, that, those are the sort of levers that a brand has to get their products out there, um, and create stories around what they're doing. Cause, you know, coming out of, the, uh, 2018, there, there weren't really like massive brands as you would think, like in alcohol, there's like Johnny Walker, um, and, and, uh, you know, or even in cigarettes, like that, like in a lot of different sectors, that's brands ultimately are, are, are where the real value is. Where the real, where the, exactly, where the real value, where the real like mature long-term consumer loyalty is as well. Um, and so what everyone's doing right now with their marketing is just telling stories about how their products are being, uh, how they're better, you know, how they're being distillated, how they're being, uh, you know, eco-friendly or um, like why the this product is specifically good for you. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, a lot of that is, you know, 
obviously still servicing the existing market of cannabis users that have always used it. Um, and the, the, there's sort of a whole new emerging couple of markets uh, in the cannabis industry around, you know, like senior folks who are, who have, you know, arthritis or like pain or, you know, seizures and uh, anxiety. And so like, that's where CBD products come in and help out a lot. And, um, and, and there's almost like, not just the sort of chemical component, but there's also the delivery mechanism and the sort of look and feel of the product that matters too. Because you're not going to have like your grandma smoking a joint. It's going to be something like a gummy or something that's a bit more, um, you know, it's just more form fitting, you know, to that consumer. Or a, a lemon drop in the bottom of the purse or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very, uh, very subtle. And so there's whole new markets being created for this. And, and it's not just driving the basically what I'm trying to say is it's not just driving the demand for consumers of the existing industry, but it's also creating new demand from demographics that used to, you know, think this thing was, you know, the devil's lettuce. And it was now, now it's actually beneficial and medicinal and, you know, provides health and wellness benefits. So um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So part of the line of questioning there is, is more along the lines of, you know, obviously, sell through is going to create a lot more distribution opportunities. And so I'm, I'm just curious how much of a role you play in the product placement, in helping them build their brands and in like in-store advertising, that kind of, is that, is that part of what, what you guys are doing or is that outside the scope of what you're currently doing? Yeah, it, it is, but in a more subdued way. So, you know, when a brand comes to us for help on distribution, um, you know, what we have that we can leverage that actually, you know, differentiates us and that no one else has is a lot of the data. Um, you know, we have probably, you know, two years of data that no one else really has around the best products being distributed across the state. And so um, ultimately, it's it's a it's not a service that we provide, but because we've built a lot of like relationships with uh, you know the brands and vendor suppliers, um, just in normal natural conversation, we we tell them, hey, like your products could probably do a bit better here, and here's the data to support this. And so it's um you know it's a win win too. You know we don't have to necessarily make all that much money off of our data, um, and it's it's not it's I don't think analytics is that big of a market in this industry, um, just because there's you know. So only so many people to sell data to, um, but uh, you know, largely the um, the benefit is them having a better sales strategy and a targeted marketing strategy to be able to um, ship more volume through us. So it always ties back to that one like north star metric, as you said. Yeah, and it, and it actually it reminds me of um, of Eventbrite actually where. You know, the whole business model at Eventbrite is about, um, you know, taking a piece out of every ticket sale. And so while they're not necessarily an events marketing kind of business, it's within their interest to have great SEO on the pages for events, for example, and to have, uh, you know, great Facebook hooks so that you can sell more tickets through Facebook and and using the data to feed those things. So that's where it kind of... it, it seems like on one side, as you said, the data helps you differentiate from other uh, distributors and, and and add value. But at the same time, you do have the incentive that if if they sell a lot more through you, then you make a lot more money in the process, I assume. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of like a value-added service that makes us more than just like a, a, a trucking logistics company. You know, it's, it's actually like a whole platform uh, that you come to to help drive your brand. Um, and so that's, that's honestly what we're trying to do now is like, how do we expand into an experiment with like new opportunities? Um, whether it's, um, you know, like the data side of things or, um, you know, 
one of the things we're doing actually is uh, um, we're building out our own credit system too, because we've handled so many payments at this point now. And there's such a lack of visibility about like around, you know, which dispensaries are willing to pay or which ones are even good at paying. And so, um, you know, building more of those tools out for people is something where we just want to make our platform that much more attractive that, you know, if you work with any other distributor, you're just going to lack so much of this, of the, of the, sort of training wheels and like guardrails to drive your business um, that you're going to want to come to us for, you know, our shipping. And ultimately we can, you know, that gives us pricing power too, just because that sort of stuff is um, it's almost becomes like a inelastically demanded service. That's, you know, or I guess like a inelastically demanded part of our business that, you know, is included in our service. Very cool. Well, I could ask a ton more questions, but we're obviously uh, coming up against some time here. I just, to me, I think the 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 whole idea of a of a massive industry. It's obviously been a big industry for a really long time. It's 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 coming out of the darkness into legality now, and so it's just really interesting to see how how you know, f- formalized distribution and, 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 and the importance of compliance and kind of all of, all of these pieces fitting together and building it, it, it. I would say it's so different than any other space where usually an emerging industry is like demand is kind of emerging slowly as awareness of the industry. It's like the demand has been there and now it's, it's just very quickly kind of, uh, kind of, I don't even know the right words to necessarily explain it, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a big bang launch of a, of an industry there. And so I, I, I think it's cool that you acknowledge that a, a lot of your growth is just being in, in the right place at the right time in terms of the rising tide rises all ships. But then at, at the same time, you've clearly moved into the position where you're, where you're moving more product than anyone else. And that you're, you're getting that, that advantage of, of a lot of volume and and the network effects that happen to be when you're plugged into a lot of different retailers and you're bringing a lot of brands to the table. And so that you're, you're, you're clearly not just rising up with the tide, but you're, you're um, consolidating a lot of, uh, a lot of the opportunity in, in your business. And it's exciting to, to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the next challenge is really, we have this sort of uh, I guess like revenue retention sort of treadmill model that we keep, um, spinning up and up on this virtuous cycle. And next is how do we, you know, scale past California? Cause I think we have a pretty great playbook for this and, you know, how do we get national? How do we go global? And I think that's where a lot of the excitement is going to be. And, um, I think, I think a lot of it is just like morale too, you know, like part of the growth of the company is just having that constant drumbeat that, things are progressing and we're part of this amazing revolution. Um, and so, you know, internally people have to feel that they're part of something big too, in order to like really push the boundaries and like grow beyond what we have currently today. Um, and so, yeah, no, it's, it's a pretty exciting time for the industry. And, um, I think, uh, you know, we've done a fairly good job, but there's a long, long way to go (laughs) to get to where we want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congrats on all the success and thanks so much for, for, Kind of opening up what you're doing and and giving us all a chance to learn from you. Awesome! Thanks so much. Um, it, was, it was really fun being on the show, and uh, hope I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, and while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.